And so for me, leadership has gone from being something that is very tangible to something that you, you almost walk into. You know, for me, I can, I think I can walk into an office or someone's, you know, someone's workplace and you can feel the strength of the leadership there because you can see the people and you can, and that yeah. sort of thing. So if you can't communicate as a, as a leader or if you're in an executive role, I think you've got a problem. I think you, you, you're really going to struggle with it. You listen with the intent. If you need to respond, learning how to respond. If you need just to listen to learn, then do that. You, you, you need to listen to understand what people are expecting of you and how you do that. And it's, it, it's all off. You know, the, 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 you know, the end result from listening can be a whole, whole various things. But if you don't listen, you're just never going to know. You know, we talk about dynamic and flexible environments. Well, that, that can't possibly be a leader as well. You, you've got to accept that life is different now. Employees are different. I'm not going to start quoting Maslow, but you know, people have different you know, motivating factors and, and you've just got to accept that. Any leadership team has to, the only thing you can't treat, there's no one size fits all with employees now. You have to adapt your style to those people. Otherwise, you know, you've lost them. You know, and I actually think it's quite refreshing. Hey there, my name is Daniel Franco and this is the Creating Synergy podcast your business and leadership podcast where we speak to high-profile leaders and thinkers about their careers and dig deep by asking the questions we all want the answers to, uncovering their stories, strategies, leadership lessons, and their secrets to success. So before we jump into the podcast, I wanted to start this one a little bit differently and put an ask out there for everyone listening in. We've been looking at the data lately and noticed that many people who listen to this podcast haven't actually subscribed to it yet. It would mean the absolute world to me for those who are listening in to subscribe. By doing so, the more subscribers we get, the more high quality leaders and experts we get on the podcast and share their stories with you. And from that, the more we all learn. So thanks in advance. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. I'm Daniel Franco, your host and CEO of Synergy IQ. And today we have the pleasure of hosting a great man and a fabulous human being on the show, Stuart Lamon, CEO of Flinders Ports Holdings. Flinders Ports Holdings is a company that plays a crucial role in the South Australian economy, connecting businesses to companies and suppliers all over the world. The majority of goods that you buy from the shops here locally have come in through the gates of Flinders Ports Holdings. So with over 35 years of experience in the ports industry, Stuart shares with us his knowledge and experiences of the industry and all his leadership lessons along the way. In this episode, we discuss the importance of the logistics and ports industry. We learn about the story behind Flinders Ports and how it became to be one of the top 10 companies here in South Australia with an annual turnover of 200 million and employ over 700 people and support over 6,000 jobs here locally. We also discuss his thoughts on what a great CEO looks like, the key behaviours that Stuart looks for in his leadership team, the art of holding people accountable, and explore the importance of listening and seeking first to understand. So without further ado, please enjoy my chat with the inspiring Stuart Lemon. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco and today on the show, we have a great man by the name of Stuart Lemon, CEO of Flinders Ports. Welcome. Thank you, Daniel. Well, Flinders Ports Holdings. Flinders, I should, Flinders, I should, Flinders Port Holdings. Port, yep. oh, Flinders Port Holdings. That's it. Yes. yes. Flinders Ports. Yeah. We'll just call it's it easy. It's easier. Yeah. 
So for those who don't know, Flinders Port Holdings is ranked one of South Australia's top 10 companies uh, with annual turnover of 200 plus million employees, 700 plus people, support 6,000 plus jobs, Um, uh, like remarkable business here in South Australia. And I'm almost certain that at some point someone's, it's touched every single South Australian, right? Is that correct? Well, I mean, if you look at, depending on the business now, I mean, we own the Adelaide Container Terminal, yeah. for instance, which if you look around this room or at home, every washing machine or television set or f- piece of furniture probably came through the Container Terminal. So 100%. We do touch people. You yeah. do. So let's go into the Flinders stuff a bit later. Yep. I wouldn't mind sort of unpacking your story. Okay. And who is Stuart Lamon? So to understand your context and to understand the trajectory of your life to, to, to where you are today, what do we need to understand about your earliest context? Oh, look, going back, Daniel, I get, uh, where does it start? I'm, I'm, I'm a pom by birth. Yep. Um, so I'm, uh, we born, won't hold that. Born in the East End <laughs> as well. So came out to Australia, I think, how old was I? Nine. So mm-hmm. went to a Sydney, Sydney boys school with a bit of a strong London, almost Cockney accent, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so the early start of resilience, I think. Yeah, okay. Started with that. So, yeah, we immigrated out initially for, as my father said, three months. Yep. Dad used to travel for six, nine months of the year yeah, in well. the UK. So. so he was involved in the port space too. In ships. In ships. Ship, ships ship broking yeah. and chartering, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, my life has basically been about ships, yeah, well. which is pretty much what it, what it has been. Um, although, to be honest, when, when I left school, I mean, I was – I think I might have mentioned to you before, I, I think I was the only boy out of 170 that didn't apply for university. Yes. Um, and then really a bit lost. And, and, yeah. And, and, you know, dad, was it, what, what was the reason? They just weren't connected to what you were doing? Didn't yeah, find any you love? Or? Absolutely. I think it was – I think when I came out initially, the intention for me, especially from, from my father's side and my family, was that I would go back and play football because we were – you know, I was born – Basically born and bred in West Ham, so yeah, we were all yeah. West Ham. Supporters. So football was in soccer, soccer. The, not AFL. Yeah, the real football. football. Yeah, the real with, football with, with yeah. the round ball. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was really what I was supposed to do. Yeah, it was kind of growing up. That was always the intention. And you know, at the age, I'm fairly young age, knees went on, the, the body gave up, and that that was the end of that. Before I left school, so then it was a case of, well, what do I do now? Yeah. So it was kind of like being being probably not for the first time being lost a little bit. In, mm. You know where I go. So. And then Dad said to me, well, you're, either, you're not laying on the couch any longer after maybe six months of not doing much. So he said, you either work for me or you're out and you find, find your own way in life. Yeah. So that was the start of it. Yeah. Luckily, at the end yeah. of the day, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you're up in, in good stead. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have anything that you look back on and smile and, and you look back and, and laugh about in your junior? That, that really sort of shaped you as a human being? Uh, what I look back and smile, I mean, I had a, this will sound really strange. I mean, I had a really, you know, I'd say a really lucky, privileged upbringing. Yep. You know, you know, if, if, if you put the, um, well, we just talked about to one side. Yeah. I mean, I was really lucky. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I have great fond memories of being a young kid in England growing up. <clears throat> and then I came out to Australia, which, and, and, you know, growing up, as I said, you know, my life. How was, old were you when you came out again? I was nine when nine, I came yeah. out. I grew up playing sport. Um, I went to a, a great school. I had, you know, I've got friends uh, from school that are still my friends now. Yeah. Um, and so life was, you know, life is pretty good. You know, mm. it's, you, you can't dwell on everything. I mean, I, I was really fortunate in, in my upbringing. Yeah. yeah. So what happened? How did you, uh, 
How did you then grow through the ranks? So you went off and started work with uh, the old man, or started work, with dad. Yeah, yeah. And then let's let's continue that story. Well, I start. How long was I with dad? I was with dad for about five or six years. Yeah. Um, and really interesting business for me. <clears throat> what shipbrokers do is yeah. basically a simple example: is BHP will come to you with hundred thousand tons of coal to move from Newcastle to Rotterdam. Yeah. You then call what we go on the market. So you then go out and find a ship, but it's all competitive. Yeah. So it's all so. It's kind of like if you, you've played sport, obviously, yeah. the competitive nature, you yeah. get a little bit of that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, and for me, you know, I, I never, you know, my, I've never had a defined career, career path in my mind. It was, you know, the, the, the start for me was always um, find a job that you love, find mm. a job that you enjoy. You know, a learning I got from my father was work hard. Yeah. Um, and then the pieces generally fall into place mm. if you take the opportunities that come from mm. that. And so that was how I really started. But, and then I left that after about, uh, I think it's about five or six years because it was almost reverse nepotism. He had offices in various places around the world and I always wanted to travel yeah. and work in London and you wherever. And you always send someone else. You always yeah. send someone else. It was kind of like that. I thought, I can't do this. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I, I need to make my own way. But you cut your teeth in the sales marketing space in with the, with the old man. A really, bit of you know, everything, just yeah. From a competitive point of view, going out there and trying to win work. Yeah, and it was, um, you know, we, we really specialised in the, in the mining sector as well. Yeah, that was yeah. on the cusp, you know, things like the coal industry, yeah. like the coal industry were really big and iron ore and things like that. So that was the start of me, you know, I've, I've had, a, I guess, an involvement with the mining sector pretty yeah. much through everything I've done yeah. um, and through ships. So that, that was really the start. And then you moved on to Global Shipping Line. Now, I might get this wrong. Is it is it Hamburg Sud? Hamburg Sud. Hamburg Sud. Hamburg Sud. You, you got a bit close. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and again, that was because um, I took a, I actually took a year off after. Okay. Again. Yeah. Come on, what do I do? Just a hiatus. Just, yeah, yeah, just no idea what I was going to yeah. do. And this, just this ad came up in, in uh, and, and I went for the job and, for, you know, you get lucky sometimes. Mm. <clears throat> and the managing director knew Dad from London. Yeah, well, and so that was a very short conversation. And okay, that when can you start? <laughs> pretty, pretty, that was pretty much it. So, yeah, I spent fifteen years with uh, the German ship owner. Yeah, um, you know, again, fascinating business, family business. Yeah, um, you know, shipping wasn't core business. They were involved in food, and, food and beverage was yeah. a big part of the, the business. They owned hotels and banks. You know, one of those typical private, large private yeah. European families. So 15 years there, you're obviously moving your way up the ranks. Is there anything yeah. that you can take away from your time at a, sort of that large international business that that might be relevant to those listening in? Oh, look, I, I think what I took from that was it, it was almost, you know, talk about opportunities. Mm. And I think from a fairly young age, I was, I was given an opportunity to move mm. in, um, domestically. Um, which, and I love, you know, I grew up in Sydney. My mates were in Sydney. I love Sydney. Everything mm. was about Sydney. But it was kind of an opportunity to move at that stage to Melbourne. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought, well, if you don't take the opportunity, you just never know. Mm. Um, and so it was probably the learning for me. And then I moved, moved around the country a fair bit with them, almost you know, moving from one office to, to the next. Yeah. And for me it was just, you know, you know for me, when opportunities come, you, you know, for me you've got to take them. Yeah. To me, for me I had to take them. Yeah. Otherwise you just sit there and, and stagnate. Yeah. But I think career-wise it probably, you know, it did and once you start moving for a company, you tend to start moving up on the, up the up ranks. On the ranks. Yeah. So where did you end up on the sort of the, what, what what role did you end up with before you decided? So to I r- I ran uh, the last role because I came to Adelaide from Melbourne. Yeah. So I was I, I was uh, 
estate manager in, in Victoria and Tasmania, which within within that corporate environment was probably on the top couple, two or three jobs there. Yeah, well. And the only reason I left there was because I, I had moved while I was in Melbourne. They wouldn't be, wanted me to go back to Sydney. I thought, you know, I've, I've done enough moves. I'm, yeah, okay. I'm in Melbourne. And so you didn't want to go back to the, you no. know, inverted commas, home state? Yeah, I, I, I thought I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back in Melbourne. I, yeah, okay. I like Melbourne. I've got, yeah. At that stage... We, so Adelaide tickled your fancy, is that? <laughs> that's, the, that's, the strange, that's the strange thing. And then I wasn't in Melbourne too long and it, and it was it was clear after that for me that my career path was done yeah. uh, with this company. Now. Yeah, I think okay. once, once you, you say no, you, you, that, that's the finish. I, I, I think, to be honest, I think the, the end result probably would have taken over the business in Sydney, which, again, my choice was that I took the decision I didn't want to do yeah. that. And then you're strange, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking to be settled and then... Yeah. Uh, the opportunity to come to Adelaide. So yeah, tell so. us about the opportunity. What what happened? Was it the was it always a succession plan to come into a CE role, or what was the what was the, the no? Design? Because if you look at our industry, work, working on for a ship owner and working for ports, it's kind of like they're they're very different. It's yeah, okay. like from a ship's perspective, so like the ports are the you know they're that mob, they're the landlord that just yeah. take rents and yeah, do that sort okay. of thing. Um, which is not true. No. <laughs> so that that was it was it was almost like a strange move. But a guy I'd, I'd worked with a lot at Hamburg Suit, um, he he's from Adelaide and he came back to Adelaide. He just rang me up one day and said, "Look, there's a, there's this great job going that I think you'd really enjoy. It's a port operation. It's it's privatised. It's not government. Um, and there's this real scope." He said, "I think there's real scope for you to do that." So I thought, "Well, I've never lived in Adelaide. It's the one place I haven't lived. My wife at the time had family in Adelaide, and so again." Okay. Opportunity came up, and I thought I'm going to take this. There you go. And yeah, and obviously uh, raised a few eyebrows and did some good things, and, and and made things happen. Bit of a mover and shake it. Got the CEO gig. After how many years were you at? Oh, look, uh, I was. It would have been probably twelve years. So yeah, it, was, right. it was a long okay. time. But but this, the strange contradiction for me, Dan, is you know I, I get bo- I get bored very quickly. Yeah. So I, I, I like change, mm-hmm. but I've only really had three or four different jobs, yeah. <laughs> which means I've had longevity in jobs, but yeah. I've been, been lucky that I've, you know, I've had opportunities to, to move within those jobs. Yeah. You, you also take your own initiative to try and create jobs as yeah. well, to be honest with you. Well, you've had, it's not jobs, but you've, had, you've worked for three or four roles. different organisations, yeah. yeah, and then you've had more and more roles that you've Roles gone. within that organisation, yeah. yeah. And so what was it about Stuart that they couldn't turn down for the CEE role? God, I'm not sure if I'm the right person to ask. <laughs> Look, I, I think, um, you know, I always had a, I think for me, I, I've always been really passionate about this industry. Well, yeah. I've been, when I moved from Hamburg to, to Flinders Ports, you know, again, as I said, it, it, it's, it's a job I really enjoy, but I'm really passionate about it. And people say, oh, yeah, it's fixed infrastructure. How can you be interested in fixed mm. infrastructure? But it's around trade. It's around yeah. growth. It's around, you know, it, even to me, maybe I'm being a little bit, you know, romantic, but it, you know, my sense is we're a really important business for this state. Mm. You know, we're, we're the gateway for thousands of importers and exporters, and to me, that kind of resonated with me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that showed showed out in what I did. Um, but also, I I had a you know I've had exposure to to the Flinders Ports board from a very <coughs> very early early stage in the career, um, and I think you you, manage, you learn to manage up. Yeah, to be honest, and that's, yeah. that's part and parcel of what you do, um, and you work hard. Yeah, it's as simple as that. So yeah, and, and be a genuine human being in the in the same right. Yeah, yeah. There's no point in it being in, you know, the BS meter for people. Correct, hundred percent. 
Just a quick note, this episode is brought to you by Synergy IQ, leaders in enabling change. Synergy IQ are the ones you call when the change or challenge seems so complex and you don't know where to start. But more importantly, we're the ones you call when you want to make a change that will actually last. If you want to check them out, it's at synergyiq.com.au. How have you seen the industry evolve over your 30 odd years in, in the industry? How have you, like, is there, I know you've gone from ship uh, to, to ports and, but I mean, in my layman mind, it's all connected, isn't it? Like, yeah, so, so, so how have you, how have you seen it evolve? I'm really interested in, in the today versus the yesteryear. Look, I think, I mean, the pure concept of a ship turning up in a port and loading cargo. Yeah, and Pretty basic. It's yeah. pretty basic. Yeah. But I think what's changed probably with a lot of companies is is just you know how we operate our business and mm. what, what, what we what we you know the, the, the critical parts of our business. And you know, previously, you know, it, it was purely around the numbers, mm-hmm. purely around the infrastructure. Yep, and that was really it. But you overlay that now, and I think the what's I think is a, you know, anyone in a leadership role for me. I shouldn't talk about everybody else, but for me. It's a much better time now to be a leader than it was, you know, even t- probably thirty years. And I was lucky because I was fairly young when I got put yeah. in leadership roles, um, because there's so much more to it now. Mm. There's so much more, you know. It's it's a, you know we talk about sustainability, we talk about you know, managing our people, we talk about you know we talked about digital, we talk about all these things yeah. now, which we never talked about before. They're almost um, almost business enablers, and they were in the background and they were yeah. doing them. But now they're seen as they they, they create value for they're businesses. At the forefront. They're at the forefront, which means your skill set as a leader has to be much broader. Mm. But geez, a lot more interesting than it yeah. used to be. It's, yeah. you know, you're across so many other things. Do um, you think it's more difficult? Do you think because back in the day it was do as I say and, and now it's a bit different. It's, you know, we're, we're there to, to serve. It, it's only difficult if you're not prepared to embrace it. Mm. I, I think as, as, you know, as a leader... If you're not prepared to listen, you know, you've got to start listening more now. Correct. I yeah. think that's uh, that's a big part of it. And um, you've you, you got to be prepared to say, well, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've made a mistake. You've got to listen to people. But then on the flip side, you've also got to be a bit braver now as well because people do, you know, they put, you know, people think more about strategy. They think more about the future. They think more about culture and, you know, and they want clarity around it. Um, but you've also got to accept that, Whilst you've got, you've got to listen, what that means is quite often you're going to upset people. Yeah, well. correct. And that's the, the yeah, so. Well, I mean, you're the ultimate decision maker, aren't you? So. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say it's more challenging. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is there anything about the ships, the ports, the logistics industry in that space that often gets misinterpreted by the public or that, that, that sort of ruffles your feathers a little bit because like, not many people – I think like you said, it's pretty basic. Ship comes in, yeah. unload the ship, move on, like get it out to the suppliers and then the consumers can grab a hold of it. So is there anything that that you think is uh, misinterpreted? Look, I, I, I won't say misinterpreted. I, I think we are – we're not well understood. I mean mm. people don't, don't understand our industry that well. I, I think, as you said, we're one of the largest businesses in South Australia. We're a large employer. I think if you talk to most people, they probably don't know who no. we are. <laughs> no. And in, in some ways that has been intentional. Yeah. In other ways, you know, you, you take a comparison, say, Adelaide Airport. I mean, yeah. If someone sees a plane flying across and they, they think of laying in the Maldives, yeah, they see a ship and it's going, it's a ship. It's a ship. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. So 
I don't think, you know. I always wonder what's in those containers. Like, there's literally the thing that goes through my mind is what is in those containers? That's on that the question yeah. everyone asks. Yeah. What do you bring in? What yeah. comes in? Well, there's literally thousands of things yeah. that, come, that come in. So is my new car coming in? Your, like is that how it works? All like the car, the automotive industry. Do you, you don't see the product. You just see the container and then pass yeah, car we do yeah. because cars, cars come in in what we call a row-row. So it rolls on, rolls off. So it just comes, drives on and off a ship. So oh, if really? You, if you go to Outer Harbour, you'll probably see your car sitting in our facility at Outer Harbour getting oh, wow. ready to go to the dealer there to deliver to you. There you go. Containers you So I've got a little so – you can just get help me get something quicker. Is that not <laughs> – Depends what car you've got, Dave. I, I say that not all cars come through Adelaide. <laughs> oh, money steering, yeah. Um, the – I think like the one thing that I, that's always surprised me and like this is probably – it's a silly question but it's one thing that's always gone through my mind. I've – done a bit of property developing i've built a few homes moved in i do like my background's in that construction space yeah. so i love the the building industry my dad's a builder dad's dad's a builder all yeah. the above right i'm italian yeah you know, concrete i came my, i saw a concrete con- con- concrete yeah. in my blood um we water the concrete right like yeah. that's actually a thing i st- i do that like you might laugh i actually water the concrete i wash the concrete with the water, I, when when it's not water stricken. I remember the days when we didn't pay for water and I could understand <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I digress. I've always, I've moved a few homes, right? I moved a few times. In fact, I think it was my daughter was seven years old on her seventh birthday and about a week later we are moving into a seventh home. Wow. And that's just okay. purely because we developed, we built, we moved in. Yep. Um, tax purposes, it works out better when you do that yep. than, than, than other reasons. So, Every time we moved, something was destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd pack it, you'd wrap it. I remember I'd, I'd throw the fridge in the truck. I'd, I'd wrap it with the, the, all the everything that I needed to wrap it with, put the table up against it. As I pulled out and unpacked it, my fridge is destroyed because the table's moved. And how, do, how, how does everything rock up so perfectly? <laughs> we don't pack it. Yeah, I know. We don't I unpack it. I always just, my mind boggles at how things just don't move on the ocean. <laughs> well, they, well, they do move, yeah. but, but I guess it's it's the way, that, and, and a lot of work goes. I, I look, I don't say we don't unpack. We, yeah. we do. We have a business that, that does pack and unpack containers. Yeah. And you look at how you know the the, the timber, and the, what we call damaging, that goes in yeah. and to protect it. It's it's pretty extensive. It would so, be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've got a lot of cardboard, a lot of styrofoam, yeah, which is a pain when you get yeah. home. You got to get rid of Iron, it. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, even I mean, you know, when we get stuff coming home, I mean, I've never. Got anything damaged? And sometimes I think, like, because I know what happens on the on the sea, on yeah. the ocean, and some of the weather these things come. Oh, through, I think, yeah. how the hell does that happen? It's well, you see some video, YouTube, whatever it might mm. be, of containers falling into the ocean. Yeah, what happens there? They they actually sit. They're like an iceberg. So oh, really? You see the tip, but you don't see actually what's under. They're, they they they're actually a hazard, but it's. Well, so they don't get retrieved ever. Well, you try and how do you pick up a twenty-ton container? Well, I don't know, but isn't that littering? Like, how do you like? Isn't then you have an environmentally? Do you know? What? I've never actually asked what happens. My, my sense is they <laughs> probably wash up somewhere. That's or, or they sink. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, that's, someone's new cars. I'm going to find out. With that the of the <laughs> cars don't come in containers. Oh, that's right. You're right. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's new couch. If, <laughs> if your car goes overboard, you're in trouble. Yeah. There's some fish sitting at the bottom, or mermaid that's sitting at the bottom of the sea Absolutely. on a new couch. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good segue to what, like, like for those for context. You know, we caught, we mentioned earlier Flinders Port Holdings, yep. which is a 
uh, a few businesses rolled into one. Can you tell us sort of a little bit about all the different businesses? Obviously, uh, Container is one of them you've yeah. spoken about. What, what, what do you guys do? Okay, sh- short history of the business. Uh, we were the, the Flinders Ports was born, I think, in 2001. We were privatised by the um, then was the Liberal government before uh, the Labor government took over. So that was the seven port assets. So uh-huh. seven, seven, seven of the ten commercial ports in South yep. Australia. We've got a lot of ports in South Australia. Yeah. So we own seven of them, which is Thevenard, Port Lincoln, Port Pirie, Wallaroo, Giles, Port Adelaide, Klein Point, which is a little port that brings in limestone for Adelaide Brian. <clears throat> that was the first part of the business. Um, but again, we were a little bit different to the other landlord. Now the eastern states have been privatised or have been privatised over the years. We also control, control the water. So we own the fixed assets. So can you explain? You control the water. What we call channels and birth pockets. So we have operating leases across those as well. So we're responsible for the the water side of it as well. Yeah, nice. And so people pay to go through that channel. That's right. It's like a rent fee almost. Yeah, they pay what what we call harbour service charge, which which is for the ship to come through the channel and go up alongside the the wharf. And we also have land leases as well, which which were 99-year leases. So that was the Flinders Port. That's the core business. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we evolved. We uh, the container terminal was owned by you know, DP World, which is from Dubai, yep. um, and we we had a passive. I think it's a forty percent equity stake in the mm-hmm. business. Passive, passive in as much as we wanted to ensure that the business kept on investing because that, you know, containers are a big part of of our business. And through uh, various reasons, we ended up taking control of that business in two thousand and twelve. So we own and operate the Adelaide Container Terminal. So I think we're the only business, probably it's certainly in Australia, that, that owns the ports and also the container okay, terminal. Yeah. Um, so not a bad little monopoly. Look, we never <laughs> we never set out to do it. Yeah. To be per- perfectly honest, but we and look, this is nothing against DP World. They run their business. They're highly successful and container operator. But we 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 had different views on how to run the business. Mm-hmm. And when you have a single port operation, um, mm-hmm. you've you know, you've got to, it's constant investment, yeah. which we had to be. So for us, it made sense for us to take it over and it's a good business. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So when we drive through Port Adelaide and there's the containers stacked up on top of each other, that's your That's site? our facility, yeah, yeah. one of our facilities yeah. at Outer Harbour. Yeah. <clears throat> and then we own what we call, you know, Flinders Logistics is a business. And, and again, we never set out. It's almost like a supply chain business. Yeah. We never set out to be like that. But we found probably, again, 10, 12 years ago, a lot of cargo was moving away from Adelaide and going to the likes of Darwin or Newcastle or Geelong simply because of underinvestment in the, in the state from the existing stevedores mm. then. So I thought either we get involved in this or we just watch cargo move away. Mm. Um, so that was how that was born. So, you know, the ports business is the core business. It's, it's, yeah. the, jewel of the, it's the jewel in the crown. That's what yeah. it is. But it's all about trade. I mean, everything about us is ships and trade. Yeah. And so, you know, we've evolved because really because we've had to. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that's re- that's really the history. So when you say you never set out, I mean, I'm putting strategy, yeah, in hat on here. You, this would to buy and acquire a business or add a, a new department or however you, yep. or a new business within under the existing structure you there you have to strategize for that absolutely yeah. and and i know that you have a 50-year plan in place we do we have a 50-year master plan so i'm going to digress how do you come up with a 50 how do you know what's happening in 50 years time 
Look, I, I think <laughs> if, if you look at it, Dan, a lot, a lot of what we do in a master plan, look, you almost forget the 50-year. Yeah. To me, it's a master plan. Yeah, okay. Um, because a, a key part of that for us is it, it's all about building, you know, well, a lot of it's about building capacity within yeah. you know, for the future because as trade grows, you yeah. need more ships, you've got to turn them around, you've got to have capacity to do it. So for us, it's understanding those those triggers that mean you've got to do something about inc- improving capacity or increasing capacity. Yeah. So the time frame is almost irrelevant. If, if the master plan says in 25 years' time you're going to have to do this, but it actually happens in year 13, as long as you know the triggers and you've got the mitigation strategy in place, that's, yeah. that's the important part of it. Yeah. Um, and we have, I mean, our assets are long-life assets as well. Yeah. I just think about it from the perspective of 1973 was 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? It is, right? Yeah. I'm right. Huh? Yeah, around 50, there. Yeah, yeah 53 yeah. years yeah. in the maths. Yeah. If we're wrong, just edit that out. Okay. No, I think we're right, right? And so in 1973, we're not – I don't believe we're predicting that the level of automation – Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, So yep. the, the, the exponential growth of the digital and, and all the above that goes with it, not to mention the volume yeah. that is potentially coming in. Yep. You, do you ta- how do you take – how do you work with that? Look, you've you've got to you've got to work with a, a lot of assumptions. Yeah, no doubt. But, but again, it's uh, you know the, the automation piece is a really interesting mm. piece because whilst we know in the future, you know, our business is going to move further down the path of automation. I mean, whether we like it or not, that that's the way it, it will operate. Yeah. But again, it's under again it's understanding because a lot of what you do is triggered by is triggered by for us it's triggered by volume. Yeah. Triggered by capacity, it's triggered by a whole bunch of things, and you have a whole lot of disruptors that might come in between that. But you've got to take a view on uh, when you will look to automate and in what form you automate. I mean, the, the terminal is a great example. Is that we went through a process for, you know, probably a couple of years of looking at how we will automate the terminal, and when we got to the decision, it was kind of like, well, it's almost obsolete now. Mm. And that's the danger you come up with. And in the interim, there's been a whole you know, technology keeps on advancing, but at some stage, you've got to pull the trigger. Yeah, and you got to do it. Yeah. Um, so that's again, you you got to take that. You know, you got to control when that happens. Yeah, you got to be fluid. I think the where I go though is back to the point of when you said we never planned for that. So none of these other businesses were in your strategy. They were just opportunistic. The, well, the container terminal certainly was yeah. was was I'd say opportunistic. Right. I think, think we had a, you know if you look at history, we probably had a couple of opportunities to take control of it early, which we didn't yeah. take. Um, and but that was a decision that was made because again, as I said, container trade is important is a really important part of our business as a port operation. Mm, yeah. And so having someone else control your destiny in such an important part of your business, you know, it's it's great if it works. Yeah. But if it doesn't work, you've got to do something about it. No, I agree. Yeah. So. We're going through a similar that with our process at the moment, and we are a services based business. We help organisations through large scale change, but it's always yeah. at the uh, like to, to manage the whole project, there's always people within the organisation that we have to work with, and, yep. and so it can be difficult when you're Absolutely. you're dealing with so many different types of stakeholders that get that get involved. And and we've we've spoken a bit about things like change and that, and and when you buy when you buy a business that is you know so different to your existing yeah. core business, there's a whole bunch of complexities that come into oh, that. Oh, without doubt, it's, the, it's just the, the merger itself of the two cultures clashing together and yeah. Procedures and bringing them all together. It's and, yeah, it's 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 complex. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And then we decided to throw another business on top of that just to 
Yeah, well, and is that the? I mean, is is Flinders Port Holdings? Is that is it continual growth? Is it still looking? I mean, I know you've recently invested in a gentleman who's actually been like his business Complexica. Yeah. Um, uh, which is an AI based yep. company. You know, Matthew Mikhailovich. Oh, Ma- Matt Mikhailovich. Yeah, I always yeah. get Mikhailovich or Ma- yeah, Mikhailovich. Yeah. Um, He's been on it twice, actually. I should oh, get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I should. He's, he's. We did one on AI, right? <laughs> we did one episode on AI, and uh, the other one was on 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 his growth and his story. A remarkable human being. Absolutely. The investment in AI. What 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 does that mean for the ports industry? What does that look like for you guys? Oh, look for us. Um, I mean, we've again, like a lot of businesses, we've got a really aggressive path forward to how our whole digital piece and our tech piece and our what have you. It's, it's um, and we were finding um, the difficulty for us is, is getting hold of resources, getting mm-hmm. BAs, it's getting projects. Yeah. And, and we were doing a project with Matt and with yeah. Complexica that uh, for part of our container terminal, we, we're putting AI into part of our yard management, which takes a lot of the interpretive work away from yeah. people in, yeah. in, into. into uh, is that with Larry? Is it Larry? That's yeah. Larry, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, um, I've, I've and and just, just talking to Matt and they were, they were keen to get into the port space. And there's a bunch of other things that we've got to do is that, that you know that will be uh, needs to be AI enabled, and you know we looked and said, well, this actually solves a lot of mm. issues for us. It, it's a business we understand. It's a it, it's a it, you know we know it's part of the future for yeah. us. He's yeah. around the corner. He's around <laughs> the corner. He's a great guy. He's a champion. Um, um, he's Matt's started yeah. a couple of really successful businesses. Yeah. I'll- Go back and listen to one of we've had him. His story is amazing. Like yeah. it's he's pretty good. Yeah. It is an incredible he's story. A, and he's he's a, he's a natural born salesman though. Oh, he's great. Oh, I absolutely Isn't love he? that about I, him. I, I, sit, I sit there with that thinking, hang on, it's, yeah. this is really cool. But I got to start thinking yeah. about outcomes. Hundred um, percent. But for us, it was and look, this was actually quite. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a large investment, but for a port business to actually buy into a tech business. It was kind of like I mean there were people going, huh? yeah, really? eyebrows raised, yeah. absolutely. So that was part, you know we had to you know kind of sell the story as to why why it was needed and for every reason that we we invested in it, it's become successful. So, yeah. yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, kudos to where you guys are at. I think one thing that has um, really like this is completely sort of moving sideways, but still obviously within the trade and and, and Flinders ports, but. Global supply chains have sort of really been affected over the past two, two three years <laughs> yep. now, isn't it? Um, and I think like, like the main question I have is why is everything taking so long to be delivered? I know people who have ordered a Toyota 12 plus months ago uh, and they still haven't received this thing and they're saying it's probably another six months away. Um, couches are taken 20 to 30 weeks now to come in in, in some instances. Yeah. Um, is this... Is this a manufacturing thing, or is this is this something to do with the port? How does it all work in your eyes? My sense that it's, it's it's we're probably in a perfect storm at the moment. Yeah, or, okay. or we were in a perfect storm. I mean, we've been through you know two and a half three years of a pandemic, which created a whole bunch of uh, yeah. issues around. Um, not the least was you know there's a lot there's a lot of cash yeah out there, so yeah. people with you know demand you know demand less travel, travel more buying absolutely. Yeah. So there was there was a lot of disposable income out there. Um, Ships, you know, COVID, what it did, especially for a country like Australia, you look at Shanghai, which has pretty much been closed down. Mm. So you've had ships continuing to go into Shanghai, not being able to, not to be able to get in or out. So they're just sitting there waiting. Yeah, You've had no ships. 
you know, the, the, the flow of containers has been constrained. So if you don't have ships moving, you don't have containers coming in and yeah. out. Um, and the reality for Adelaide is that we're a small port. Mm. That's, that's state reality. If you look at container shipping, is almost like a how do I say it? it's almost like a, a bus route. Yeah, you call at each port, yep. and you have a time when you have to get into that port. And the reality is, if you try, if you have to get back on schedule, then you will omit ports, which you know we yeah. suffer from that a lot. And then you over. So Adelaide suffered from that because uh, of its size. Because of its size, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we had a lot of ships that we, you know. Theoretically, the container trade should be pretty simple because the ship comes in at the same time every week. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's, it's methodical. You plan your labour, you plan yeah. everything. That's that got thrown out the window. Yeah, wow. Um, so what happened with all the orders? It just said you got to wait for them. You got to wait. Yeah, but but then you overlay that with you know you probably had a you know you had a manufacturing issue as well. Yeah. You know you, you you can't have a constant of you know a few years of staff being late. Yeah, and staff not going to work, and plants yeah. closing. It's just a perfect so. Thing. Just taking a bird's eye view, Sydney versus Adelaide, Sydney wouldn't have felt some of these delays that Adelaide's felt? Oh, look, they still feel – I mean, you still get the delays. Delays, yeah. But it's probably – it was probably a little bit worse in Adelaide. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. So the – the what about like the when that – what was the company that the, the the ship blocked the canal? Did that affect oh, trade as no, well? No, not, not really. That, that, that more affects the – yeah, east-west trade. So yeah, okay, so South nothing America, to do with it. Yeah, not so much. Else. So you talked about COVID yeah. and how it obviously affected the 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 amount of trade that was going and being done on our ports. Does What does that happen? What happens to you and Flinders Port in that time? How do you manage, you know, if you're talking about a bus route and all of a sudden this bus is not coming up, that means that people aren't going to wait at the bus stop, right? So, so what happens with your staff in that situation? How do you manage... Uh, the complexities of of that world. We're a fixed cost business. Yeah. So it's difficult. To, it's difficult to manage that. Yeah. Um, so you know we, you look at our workforce of I think seven hundred and thirty people. Mm. The vast majority of those, probably six hundred plus, are wharfies. That yeah. People okay. that work on the wharf. Yeah. And they work on rosters and they work on shifts, and they're still there. You know, yeah. You, you know, we, we in fact, our business grew. During yeah. Wow. COVID. Yeah, Even with the the lack, the lesser ships coming yeah, through. Yeah, but you've got or? to remember the first couple of years, things were, were you well, know. Well, you are an essential service, weren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. things were far better. Yeah. I think in March 20? Yeah. 21, I've forgotten that. Yeah. Um, when everything, you know, we have, we got a problem here. I think if you'd, if you'd have said we, we, how we ended up, I'd have bitten your hand off at that mm. stage because trade continued to flow. Yeah. But for a period of time, it became a health issue. Yeah. More than a trade issue. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you how do you how do you manage a, a team that you know six hundred people plus on the wharf uh, packing ships that you know we've got a zero policy here in Australia, but unpacking ships that potentially could be riddled with a virus based on the, the crew that are on board. Like, is that how did you manage that situation? Look, I, I'm I'm not a person that suffers from stress. I don't think I suffer from stress. Other yeah. people probably say yes, he does. Oh, but I, I need to get I some do. tips off you. Maybe we'll talk about that for half an hour. Yeah, but. Um, <laughs> When that first started, uh, that, that's probably the only time I can really remember th- really laying awake at night thinking, how, how do we how manage, do we manage yeah. this? And that was purely around... Because um, no, no amount of hand sanitizer is going to fix this problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, as I said, we, you, you can send, not to try and trivialise it, but I, I, you can send 120 people from administrative people home with laptops and mm. computers and they can yeah, operate correct. from home. Yeah, 
I've got 600 people working in the walls and we don't know what this thing is. No. You know, I, I, you know, I don't know the impact on these people's health and their lives yeah. and their well-being. I, I have no idea. And, and their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, you know, that was, that was probably the only time when I thought, oh, this is really stressful. You know, I took the view, you've got to, you've got to trust the health people. You've got yeah. to do that. Um, so that became a management issue for mm-hmm. the well-being of our people. But flip side for that, for the, the learning from me through COVID was I remember thinking I've got to, you know, we'll get this committee started, we'll get policies in place, how we manage this. Before I'd even started you know, finishing the email, I had an executive team that it, it was all done. Yeah. And I kind of sat there and thought, you know, what? Well, I, th- I think we're going to be okay mm. through this. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I said to you before, you wouldn't wish a COVID on anybody. No. But for a leader, I think when you look back in hindsight, the learnings that you had from it, um, and it was so challenging, but I think good leaders really stood up yeah, for that. Yeah, 100%. And it was an opportunity for businesses. Yeah. You know, I'd like to think we're a better business now than we were when this thing started. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would categorically say I reckon I did three MBAs <laughs> within that period, right? Like the amount that you learn, all the little different yeah. nooks and crannies that you think you you, you got to, you have to think about. Yeah. Um, not to mention because we're a service based business, we're working with multiple organisations, large scale organisations, BHPs, these types yeah. of companies, where they're dealing with their issues, and we're working with them on change. Yep. Like so, you, your scope just it just just broadens, explodes, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, do you think uh, – I had this conversation with some friends the other day. In fact, it might have even been – no, it wasn't from friends. It was in the, it was in the office actually uh, with, with the team. Um, if you – you know, like I use the Toyota example. If you go out and buy a Toyota, a black Toyota, you all of a sudden see a black Toyota everywhere, right? Yeah. So you, your, your senses become heightened to, yeah. the, to the black Toyota. Do you think that is the same with uh, opportunity? Do you think if you are – have the openness of opportunity. And I'll talk about, you know, Flinders Port as well. You say we, we didn't set out but this opportunity came up. If you have the mindset of taking opportunity when it comes, you have more chance of you seeing that opportunity should it arise or do you think it's just potluck that something pops up? No, I think you, uh, it's if part of your thought process is that you see you look for an opportunity in everything that happens. Yeah. Quite often you're going to find an opportunity Correct. there. I agree. I mean, it's like, you know, pretty much everything we do, you know, it, you know, the, the downside, you know, say something happens to trade or something happens to something like that. But for us, there's an opportunity because there's an opportunity we have to grow somewhere else. So there's, there's an opportunity for there to get into another part of a business yeah, or provide another service. You know, you can't just sit there and look at the negative on things. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the power of positive mindset, isn't it, it really? And it gen- as you say, you, you see it. Yeah. You, you constantly see it. Yes. Uh, Flinders was named uh, 2021 Deloitte's Best Managed Companies. Is that, is that a bit of a head wobble over there? Like, what does that look like? What, is, what, do you, what does it mean to be 2021 one of the uh, best managed companies? Obviously, look, my name wasn't on the list there. I think. <laughs> I, I, think we're up, I think we're up for it again this year. Oh, really? Well, well yeah. done. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Um, look, it's... For me, something like that, you've you got to get it in context. Yeah. It's it's a recognition, you know, what, when it says best managed businesses, it's we're only as good as the people yeah, that, no doubt. That, that work in the business. And, and for me, it's just really, you know, it's an acknowledgement for the 700 people we have to say, hey, look, guys, guys and girls, 
this is what we've been awarded and, it's, yeah. and you're part and parcel of yeah. And for me, it's it's a nice story to be able to tell everybody. It is. What does a great managed company look like? I mean, what what are you doing that's standing out from the crowd? What what can we learn from you and, and the team? Look, I think it's pre- it's pretty. I mean, management is pretty broad now. If you mm. talk about management, or, you know, to me, it's lead. To me, it's it's still leadership. Leadership, part of it, management. Um, and I think it's an acknowledgement for people that when you when you say a, a company that's got good leaders, it's we talk about culture and, 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 you know, to me culture comes from the top. You know, leadership now is about setting the example. And we've spoken before, it's about, it's about selling the stories, about painting the pictures for people. It's about, you know, creating an environment that people can come and, and be who they are and be innovative and it's a safe place for people. It's, it's, it's that whole part of it. It's, it. it's not just being a technical specialist. More importantly now, it's providing the environment for people just to flourish and yeah. come into the business. To me, you know, and... And we talk about, you know, we talk about culture and it's, uh, we talk about diversity, we talk about this, we, you know, thousands of things. And it's, it's, it's great for the outcome of the business. But, but for me, the important part is that that's, you know, it's, that, that is an outcome, but that's not why you do what we do as mm. leaders. You do what we do as leaders because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's as simple as that. If you don't get that mindset, then you never change the culture, mm. you never change the dial. And so for me, leadership has gone from being something that is very tangible to something that you, you almost walk into, you know, for me I can, I think I can walk into an office or someone's, you know, someone's workplace and you can feel the strength of the leadership yeah. there because you can see the people and you can and that yeah. sort of thing. So. Do you or have you handpicked all your leaders? No, I've got a, out of a team of seven, that's right, I think a team of seven there's three, three new and two in new roles. Yeah. So... It's been a fair change. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about leadership versus management, right? Like the, the old model is you've been in the role for a while, therefore you're the best at the role and therefore you get promoted to the leader. And Yeah. Um, you know, we, we all are aware that that's the wrong model. But through lack of people or lack of work, work experience or whatever it might be, um, the, the same promotions keep happening over and over and over again. From an executive level, though, I'm just I'm really interested, and in we are targeting at an executive level our audience here with with the, with the Creating Synergy podcast. What are the key behaviours that you look for in your leadership team to become one of those best managed people, uh, managed organisations? You, you, you say you just do what's right. You do what you do it because it's right. What if the knowledge of the people don't understand that there is a better way to do right? If that makes sense. Yeah, I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so what you're saying is what, what's almost a skill set that, that I'm yeah, for an executive Yeah, correct. First thing, I, first thing I look at is someone who's – I like someone who's an independent, independent thinker. Yeah. You know, I, I like someone who is um, prepared to – you know, a lot of what we do at that executive level is around things, something like, say, strategy is yep. a simple example. I want people involved. Yep. I want people to have a view. I want people not necessarily to, to – you know, you don't have to agree with me. Mm. I'm happy to, you know, happy to debate it for Mm. So I think independent thinking is something that's really important for me. Yep. I like good communicators. Mm-hmm. I think if, if, if you can't communicate as a, as a leader or if you're in an executive role, I think you've got a problem. I agree. I think you, 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 you're really going to struggle to get there. Um, and it comes around, you know, EQ is something that <laughs> we didn't talk about much 10 mm-hmm. years ago, maybe, maybe a bit longer. Um, that's really important now. You know, uh, you know if, if someone isn't 
doesn't possess that, again, it's a bit like, a bit like if you have no comms yeah. ability, you're going, you're going to struggle. It's interesting the EQ one. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a massive believer in it. I'm, you're obviously someone with high emotional intelligence. The is is the the ability to pick emotional intelligence because you are an emotionally intelligent person. Do you think like that's the skill set? How do you actually judge for it? Is there a is there a chart that you you work to? Do you get people to do uh, diagnostic? Tools before they come in. I, I, I don't know. Like what, or, or do you just have this gut feeling that you go, yeah, this person knows what they're. I'm talking a gut about. person. Yeah, I am. I, am, I agree. You with know, that. you yeah. can, you can do. And, and look, I'm certainly not against training and you know, education that sort of thing. But but a lot of what we do is, for me, a lot of what I what I do is gut. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you, you learn you learn learn pretty quick. I reckon within a couple of minutes. Yeah, I've got a few I think so. Do you table that with your team? Do you yeah. tailor? I, I've my gut, like, is the gut a decision maker in all this? And you, as an organisation, because that it is something that you know you would have some really extremely intelligent and emotionally intelligent human beings sitting at your executive table. Absolutely, it's is that it's something a smart that, group of people? Yeah. Do yeah. you actually use the gut as a decision? What's everyone's gut feel here? Like, is that a decision making technique? I think it's technique? an important part. Yeah. Of it. But but if but if how do I put this? If if a if a decision is made on gut, it's got to be me. Because yeah. if it do, if it doesn't work out, then it's yeah. It's it's got to be on. Oh me. yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, it, it has to. I yeah. mean, it's you know, you, someone else's gut feel, but yours is. Yeah, your, it, did, it actually, didn't work out, but it was your gut feel. Yeah. So it's kind of no, that, <laughs> yeah, that, point that doesn't work. Well, the buck stops with you, doesn't it? Really. Oh, well, someone's had fish rots at the head. So. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Communication was interesting though, mm. like that because that there is for me. I mean, communication is critical from – if you are a leader of an organisation or you are a leader within an organisation, communication is probably one of the most critical skill sets that you can have as a leader. It's the ability to influence, it's the ability to communicate, the ability to connect, the ability to provide clarity yeah. on strategy and where we're going and why we're going and all the above, right? Yeah. Uh, what does your communication style look like? Oh look, I'd like to think. I've, uh, for me, maybe in context, for me communicate. It's not just you know as a, a CEO, I'm dealing with stakeholders. Yeah, that, that's a big part yeah. of my job. Yeah, pretty much everything you do with stakeholders is is you're talking about a future state. Yeah, you're talking about what you want to do or why you're taking the decision, whether it's employees, whether it's boards, or whether it's government, yeah. whatever it is. And if you don't have that clarity of communication, you know it's it, it's a struggle. And I and I think. One of my strengths is I, I think, I hope, I've got the ability to break it down into, I won't say dumb it down because that, yeah, that yeah. sounds the wrong word, but but really simplify it. Simplify the yeah. whole thing. I mean, we're not a complicated business. No. Mm. You know, and, and just make it simple. Yeah. You know, you're, selling, you're, selling, you're selling a vision. Yeah. That's what you're selling. Do you think the, the people on the wharf would look at head office and go, yeah, they've got it right. They've simplified this enough. Or do you reckon that there is those layers of communication where Chinese whispers can start and things get a bit hazy? Yeah. Look, look I think as a, as a business, uh, our communication strategy has got a lot better. I yeah. think in the past, as you mentioned earlier, it wasn't that long ago, Daniel, that you know, it was, you know, do as I say yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Um, where comms was basically that. Mm. But now it, it does have to filter down. So every level of leadership or management or whatever, you know, whatever structure you have, 
you, you, you've got to you've got to put a communication, you know, through the, all those levels of yeah of the organisation. Yeah, it's, it's not easy for some people. No, yeah, and and to get it down to the guy on the wharf, it might be going through two or three different yeah levels of communication and their interpretation and, and their, their perspective inter- and yeah. So to try and get around that, sorry, what, what I, I generally do each quarter, I do a uh, I do a video. Yeah, that goes to go. all the staff. I mean, again, it's hard for us because we, we'd have you know, 10, 12 remote sites. So yeah. it's hard to communicate with everybody. The, the only way of doing it is to put a put a video out and put a link in it so everybody can read it. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, everybody can listen to it and watch it, yeah. which I think hopefully breaks down some of those issues. That you might Do you tailor comments. the video to the audience or is it just one blanket video? You've got to ta- – look, you, you've almost got to tailor it to um, all, le- all levels. Yeah, I mean, okay. you know, I'm not – or a leadership team that should know it anyway, so Correct. it's not tailored yeah. to them. You've got, yeah. I've got a senior leadership, or we've got a senior leadership team that should that's involved in most yeah. decisions, so they understand. So it's broadcast to the masses. It's broadcast to the masses. Yeah, yeah. And and with the caveat, and I, and I still have people that if you, if you don't understand it, ring me. Yeah, or come see me. Hundred percent. Ask me. What does a message like that on that video look like? Is it a strategy? This is where we're going. Is it that future focus thing that you talk about? A lot about? of future focus. Yeah, yeah, and. and and also something that uh, I think in the past we haven't done well that we're trying to do better is also, again, we talk about that reflection. Yeah. You, know, you know, people want to understand, okay, we get what you were saying is why you're doing it, but yeah. let us know how we're going. Yeah. You know, we want to, if you want to get people uh, engaged within the business and take, you know, ownership in, of what they do, you've got to share everything. With yeah. Them. Transparency. Absolutely, yeah. How do you manage the... Look, I, I'm asking this question on the fact that we work with a lot of clients who are an engineering and blue collar, mm. you know, academic administration, uh, clinical administration, all the different yep. worlds, right? So there's always a there's always two worlds, and and so ports would seem to me there's a, there's a, the wharf versus the administration, right? Like I, I'm yep. just going to blanket that. Mm-hmm. rule over the top it might be right i'm probably way off but how do you as a leader as the leader and working with your your leadership team create strategy and execute on it and then communicate the changes throughout the organization um in a way that is received well by the 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 masses, if you want to call them that. The, so I think my question comes from the point of view is that we've seen in many organisations that the bottom row of the, of the, the you know, the frontline staff, yeah. I should say, they are, when a decision gets made or when some changes come through, it's like head office don't know anything about us. They don't yeah. know why the things are run here. They don't like, how do you combat that situation? Because we see it time and time again that decisions are made, changes are made, and they haven't taken into consideration all the different perspectives and context of what is happening on that front line. Yeah. Do you guys have a process for that when you look? We, depending on what it is, mm. I mean, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of decisions made that you, you just quite simply just don't have the time Correct. or manpower to do yeah. that. I think large when you when you have you know, material changes within the business. I mean, we tend to, we tend to work with a lot of uh, uh, subject matters, SMEs yep. that, we, that we take from right through the business. Yep. Um, so we try to have a fairly consultative approach um, and get people involved from the ground up. Yep. And that's the only way, you know, to, 
for me, that's the only way you can do Crap that. Crap buying, yeah. Um, and you've got to get, you've got to get that buying. But it, but again, it can't just stop when the decision's made because if you don't if you don't give feedback to people when you start trying to execute or, or the end result, the next time you do a change, man, you say to people like, "Hey, we want you to engage," and they say, "Well, what's the point? Why? Yeah. Well, what happened to the last? Yeah. One? It's, you know, it's it's just constant. and that's where the change fatigue comes in, right? Absolutely. Being a CEO was something you mentioned to me last time we caught up. Was something that you fell into. Yeah. You never set out as a junior, no. as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult to to wanting to be a a CEO. How how did you? And we talked about positioning and seeing opportunity. How did you position yourself though to become a CEO? Was there, uh, you know, obviously you said. You didn't go to university after, but then you ended up completing your MBA thereafter. But there is something about being in the right place at the right time and positioning yourself so that you can be ready for a CEO-type role. So uh, uh, this question comes from the point of view of those who are up-and-coming leaders and looking at what's my next opportunity. There's so many opportunities floating around right now. Yeah, some advice for those young and up and coming leaders. Yeah, look, it's for for me. You're right. I never, I never. My journey was I never looked at it until probably I got a couple of years into Adelaide, and then I started to look at things like you know, got involved in things like strategy and, mm. and even getting more involved in uh, in probably more in depth in leadership and culture yeah. and things like that. And that that I, I guess that bred my interest in thinking. Oh, hang on, I, I'd actually probably like to lead a business yeah. if I had the opportunity. And luckily, I was in a business that that could. That I had the opportunity to do that, but if you're young and up and coming, you've you've got to you know a lot of it is the right place at the right time. But yeah. you make your own luck in a lot yeah. of what you do. And again, that I can't highlight again. It, it, it's it's a case of um, t- taking the opportunities that come up for you. Um, I think you know listen. Yeah. To me, it's about listening. I, I was very fortunate that I had a you know I, I've worked for not a lot but a lot of really good leaders mm. um, and. Who were prepared, who you know ask questions, um, take mentors, have people to talk to, um, and you you end up putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Mm. And as I said, a, a lot of it is a, it is around luck, mm. um, but you make your own luck in, mm. in a lot of respects. respects so when that. you say listen, because you've you've said listen a few times, mm. and uh, I love the art of listening. I run a podcast. For, you know, so like yeah. for me it is super important in, yeah. in being remotely good at what I do. To say the word listen, there has to be, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, there has to be an action after the, the listening. What does that action look like? Because you can listen and you can seek to understand you know, if we get into the seven habits of, you know, the well, Stephen Covey. Covey. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so listen and seek to understand. Yep. Do you listen with the intent to respond? Do you listen with the intent to just accept? Do you like what, or is this where the emotional intelligence all kicks off. in? All of the, all all of the you, you listen with the intent. If you need to respond, learning how to respond. Yeah. If you need just to listen to learn, do that. Mm-hmm. You, you you need to listen to understand what people are expecting of you and mm-hmm. how you do that. And it's it, it's all of mm. you know the, the the you know the end result from listening can be a whole whole yeah various things. But yeah. if you don't listen, you're just never going to know. Mm. Yeah, and agreed. Yeah, it's. Do you believe there's a skill set in listening and absorbing, mm-hmm. and not letting that 
hit your ego, hit that little chimpanzee that's screaming at you inside. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like because the, there is there is listening where you can listen to someone and yeah. go, they're clearly off their rocket. they got no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. How do you manage that situation? Uh, I think that's where – look, I'm a, I'm a firm believer if, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Yeah. But there is a little bit of experience that comes into yeah. understanding how you react to certain things. Yeah. And, and in context, you've got to understand the context of, of, of A, who's saying it. Yeah. And B, the environment you're in where you say it. So I think you learn that yeah. as, you, as you go along. I don't think there's any – there's never one size fits all to any of this. No, I know? agree. And it's – a lot of it's on you to actually, you know, if you listen, you've got to learn. Agreed. Yeah. It's... Since becoming the CEO, what has surprised you the most? Oh, that's what they don't tell you. What yeah. Um, what surprised me was uh, someone said to me when I started, they said to me, this, this is a really lonely gig, you know. This, yeah. You're going to start – and I thought – yeah, we've spoken about this. No. Yeah. I think pretty quickly you realise that um, it is. I mean, there's, there's times where, well, si- simply you have uh, very few avenues to to run your ideas through and mm. talk to people through. Um, and so it does get pretty lonely at times. And decision making, mm. you know, you, you're making decisions that you know, affect people's lives, mm. some in a material way. Um, and a lot of times there's no one there to help you. Mm. You know, you've got to make a decision yourself. Why do you think it's lonely? As in, and I want to ask that point from the point of view of can't you just be out there and boisterous or do you think there's a way you need to carry yourself and hold yourself as a CEO that stops you from doing that? I mean, there's all the above again. Yeah. But does it does it need to be lonely? Um. No, I don't. It probably doesn't have mm. to be. I, I, I don't draw. I think we're all struggling. I think any CEO listening yeah. right now is probably pondering that question, right? I think you've got you've almost got to get the right support network around you as mm. well at times. And whether that support network is is home, is family, is partner, yeah. it's whether that support network is a mentor, whether that support network is a chairman or a board. I think uh, uh, you know you have to have a support network around you to be able to be able to bounce ideas off, to be able yeah. to talk these things through. As I said. There's, often you're making, you know, pretty significant decisions that uh, that sit with you. Yeah. And you need people to bounce ideas off. So I think like I just said you support network and family and family absolutely one of my core values, right? I am so really interested in, in your thoughts around. It's a question that I ask quite a few CEOs as they come on the show um, and and it is around the fa- family aspect of it and, and the management of business as well. So how do we really pursue and realise our visions? So as a leader and as an ambitious human being, there's some sort of ambition if you're a CEO, of course, right? Has to be, yeah. So how do you have these visions and these goals set for your life but do that at the time of cultivating a loving and thriving family relationship as well. Yeah. How, how do you manage That's the one. two? That yeah. is a tough one. Um, and and, and I, probably the easiest way to describe it is, is my experience with this. Um, if you look at when I was, I was married quite young mm-hmm. and had two children to my first wife um, and it was all around work. I mean, yeah. it was the, the, what, 
from day. It's work ethic. You go and you know. I guess the priorities weren't the family and and um, and children. What have you. you don't love them any differently. It's yeah. just that you don't your, spend as much time. Your, there. your mindset was somewhere else. And um, then I, you know, I, I had kids that. Uh, at an older age as well where my priorities were totally different. My, my family came first, my kids yeah. came first. Uh, and then if I go back even further, I had a father who spent, as I said, he spent six to nine months of the year travelling, so work was everything to him. Great dad, you know, you're on but, but that was his priority. You know, I, I have a strange, you know, I don't have much of a relationship with my two sons from my first marriage mm-hmm. and I, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. I have a great relationship with my daughter and to me, there's a connection there between where you get your priorities mm. and what, you know, where the important... And we talk about work-life balance. Mm. And to me, it's real. You know, and it's, yeah. you know, and where does family sit in that? And fam- sometimes families are contradiction in in what we do as well. Mm. I mean, you just we just talked about a support network and part of my psyche is I try to make sure that when I put that key in the lock, mm. in the door at night, yep. work's gone. Yep. It's, it's never gone. It's not, but no. It's, yeah, it's, I- and you walk in, and you're and you're just. You can try as much as you like. I, I'm I'm yet to compartmentalise that you world can. out. I'm. But then the contradiction is, we talk about a support network, and if if you don't go home, and you you know your partners are a really important part of the Without process doubt. here. Yeah. But you're trying to in one way you're trying to separate work, and the yeah. other way you're actually you know need them as a support network is a contradiction. Yeah. There. So the whole the whole work the whole family issue is something that I've, I I think a lot about. Mm. Yeah, it's. Do you look back at your first uh, marriage with, yep. with your two boys, and do you wish that you had your mindset now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, most definitely. Is there an opportunity to rekindle that, or is it sort of just the? Oh, look, I think yeah. You, you have to keep trying. Yeah, you know, they're your kids. You never you never stop yeah. trying. But but you know this is where. You know, and you know, work, home life, your personal life, and and work. So, are two very different beasts. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the difference. It's almost like work is that comfort zone. Mm. It's it's transactional. Mm. It's 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 never personal. It's you know, you make decisions. You walk in there. It's it's almost. I won't say robotic, but but you know what you do. Yeah. yeah. For me personally, my personal life scares the crap out of me. Yeah. Because it's you know it's it, it's not tra- it's I won't say more important of course it's more important but it's just a, it's a different dynamic mm. i'm and that's something that I, I think i've probably struggled with as much as anything there's so many different flavors of emotions that go on in a family oh, environment yeah. than what there is at work i mean work like you said robotics probably the wrong word i agree yeah. but i know exactly what you mean like yeah. it it can be black white gray whereas um Family, the, the family dynamic is just a rainbow, isn't it? Like it's just different. It, it is, is just a different situation. And um, and then and then you throw in love, right? Like I know, did they give us that shiver? <laughs> <laughs> and I think like that 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 for me is the one thing that um, that you know I always say this. I like family first, and we run a family first business here, and and you know that that is an absolute fundamental. Yeah. Um, but I, I ask that question of pursuing visions because there are parts of me that go, yeah, I, I would, yes, I absolutely would say here categorically, I'll give up everything just if it meant being, you know, my kids needed. But then there's a part of me that that like that sits with me and I go, well, like 
no. Like I actually really love what I do. I love the fact that I have the ability to change. I love the fact that I, um, I can create value. I love the fact that I get to meet remarkable human beings and sit with them. I don't really want to give this up. So, But you can think about that because you don't have to, you correct. Don't have to make the decision. Yeah, that's right. If, if, you have to, if you actually have to make the decision, I think I know which way you yeah, go. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, it's, no, yeah, I know. Yeah. You're right. It's a, it's a privilege of being in it, yeah. Look, it is. Yeah. yeah. Do you um, do you maintain a level of concentration on your mental health as a CEO? Probably not as much as I should, um, and probably for someone like me, it's probably um, you know it, it's there's parts of parts of it that I probably don't concentrate enough. Yeah, but also for me, it's a little bit of a you know, I have a pretty much a morning health check. I have to. That's part of. Yeah. That's part of. What does that look like? What are, um, just working my way through the day and mm. getting up, and and for me, it's, um, it's it's really remembering that you know, I'm really lucky. Mm. You know, I've yeah, I've got a wonderful relationship. With a beautiful. So you practice gratitude. Absolutely. Part of that, yeah. Because you've got to get it in context as to you know I've got a great I've got a great job. I'm really fortunate. Mm. You know, life's pretty good to me, and and every morning I'll have a little health check with that. Yeah, okay. Um, so that so, that, so gratitude every morning is that like part of I your have daily? to, yeah, yeah. Wow, okay, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I I I set out to do the gratitude thing. Yeah. I do it for one or two days, and then like it, I I cannot make it a habit. I don't know why. Yeah, but I have to because otherwise the day can start in a hole. Yeah. So that I've, I've trained myself to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would, would do? Is like meditation, running, exercise, like is a Look, switch I'm, off? You know, you talk about the key and the lock. Like because, you know, we are really working in a ball of twine, right? There is just so many layers yeah. and it's all connected. And we're all wound up. And yeah. Um, look, for me part of it is, you know, being healthy and having a, a level of fitness is really important to me. Mm. It's important to me on a whole bunch because I think I'm – I think I'm a, I'm a better partner at home. Yeah. I think I'm a better father. I think I'm a better you know leader at work. So fitness has always been pretty important for me as well. Mm. Um, but apart from that, I, there, there must be other, there, there would be other avenues there that I probably don't pursue that mm. I probably should. Yes. I I'm really interested, and we talked earlier before about the um, the advice for a young and up and coming CEO. Yep. Right. But I want to talk about the the, the new generation of the workforce that's coming through. It, it, it is a different mindset for yes. some of the younger generation. How do you and the team and the leadership team work with the younger generation coming through and provide mentoring, provide um, support, help develop? Is there anything that you pay attention to in that space? Look, I think the, the, the generations coming through I think have been um, a challenge for a lot of us in as much as, you know, we, we were, you know, we, we were brought up in, you know, you kind of like, hello, sir, no, sir, three bags full, yeah. sir, the leaders. Yeah. Um, and now a generation that, you know, which is actually, once you embrace it, it's actually quite refreshing. They yes. just treat you as you know, just another, another employee. Mm. Um, and so... You know, we talk about dynamic and flexible environments. Well, that that part and parcel of being a leader as well. Yeah. You, you've got to accept that life is different now. Employees are different. I'm not going to start quoting Maslow, but you know, but people have different you know motivating factors, yeah. and and you've just got to accept that. And and 
any leadership team has to – the only thing you can't tre- – there's no one-size-fits-all with employees. Yeah. You have to adapt your style yeah. to those people. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you've lost them. Mm. Yeah, and I actually think it's quite refreshing. I think so too. I think – Yeah, it's um, – I don't, I don't mind the millennials and and whatnot that come through. I think your your comment there around there's no one size fits all uh, plays into the hands of culture and the culture of organisation. And you mentioned you've got to be flexible and all these things. Is there anything that you are doing culturally to continue to harness these new thought processes that are coming into the workforce? whilst maximising the experience of the workforce that you already have, like how are you playing that cultural song? <laughs> Look, I think, I mean, I think you know, culture never, yeah, it, it's never a static moment. No. I, you know, yeah. cult, culture is this long yeah. lead thing that just evolves and evolves and evolves. And that's part of the culture of the business is, you know, we, we talk about creating an environment where people can flourish and people can be innovative and people have thought identity and, and people can... Be who they are, and that—that's that, kind of culture that that I hope that we're creating within within the business. But there's little things you've got to do, like you know, encourage people to give feedback. Mm. But you give feedback, mm. and if people come up with good ideas, and act on those good ideas. And if people make a mistake, you know, work with them through that, and train them, and develop them through that, and mm. mentor them through that. You know, it's again, it's this, it's it's this ever evolving mm. piece that you have, and we weren't good at it. A little while ago, and we're trying to get there. You know, we're trying to improve now. Um, a, you do it because it's a better place to work. Yeah, no doubt. And the second piece you do it is because we're all in a war for talent here. Yeah, and you've got to, you know, you've got to do everything you can to provide an environment that people want to come to work. Yeah, and, and you know. The so, so tough question. Would people listening in, who anyone from Flinders Ports listening in right now, would they be like, "Yep, we're actually seeing this cultural shift. We're seeing this move." Look, I would hope so. Yeah, not everybody. No. Does. Yeah. Um, but I would hope most people would say that they're seeing they're seeing the shift. So it's on the agenda. It's on the strategy. That's the videos that you're talking. This is where we're going. You're trying to be flexible. We're trying to create a culture of of, of welcomeness and health and well being and all the above the things that go into. I, I think you get there, Dan, when you stop talking about it, yeah. and it just becomes part of yeah, part of your business. Hundred percent. You know, if if you if you're constantly having to talk about how we improve the culture, I think you, you know, you're probably not getting there. Yeah. You know, I'd love to stop talking about it and just it, it just happens. It just evolves. Yeah. yeah. Culture just is. Cult, culture is. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Great way to finish. I'm 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 just conscious of your time, so. Uh, couple of questions before we well, just to round off some of the questions and then we'll jump into a quick fire yeah what what does the future of Flinders ports look like I mean when we talk about we talked about the 50 year plan and 50. and ta- and taking all that into play um, is it is it something that you're really keen to continue growing and expanding or is it consolidating and improving or like what does the future of Flinders Ports look like? Look, I think if you look at the evolution of our business, I mean I, I think it's incumbent on, on on us or me on us to continue to grow the business. You have to. Yeah. I mean we're um, – So you know, grow the footprint, grow the people, grow the, the, the businesses involved with. Everything. Yeah, great. Everything and above. I think if you look through our journey for the last maybe four years – you talk about laying foundations. For me, it was you know my sense when I took the role. In, I mean, we have, it's, it's a really success. So I was really lucky. I inherited 
you know, the role from a, you know, a really good CEO. Yeah. So the business was in great shape. But for me, it's an almost an evolutionary stage where you build the foundations yeah. for the next stage of growth. Yeah. And I think we're now at the stage where we've built those foundations mm-hmm. um, and now it's, you know, it, it, it's ready to go to its next stage. Yeah. Next stage of growth. Can you give us some insights? Or? Look, we <laughs> it's very much within South Australia. We yeah, had great. we had businesses outside of or business outside of. We were looking to growing into state. Yeah. Strategically, we took the direction of we we exited that business. So you know our strength is in South Australia. For me, strategy you know strategy is a lot about you form your strategy around what you understand and what you know. You don't you don't form a strategy and then try and learn on the job as you're trying to yeah. execute. So for us, this is the market we understand. So we'll look at how we provide, you know, provide services through, get more involved in the supply chain, how we, um, how we bring more cargo through the ports. We have catchment areas, you know, providing, you know, supply chain solutions for people. Um, so there's a whole bunch of areas that we can get involved in with that. At the end of the day, with us, it's about growing trade. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not, not much, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. It's been the gateway, isn't it, yeah. really? So what does the future for Stuart Lemon look like? Um, look, I love what I do. Mm. I mean, I think I'm re- really fortunate. I, uh, you know, I came to Adelaide, God, 18 years ago now, mm. um, for a short period of time. I'm here out of, I'm here out of choice. I'm here because yeah. I enjoy it. Um, but legacy for all CEOs is, you know, it's picking the right time to go, mm. making sure there's a succession plan in place. Mm. Um, so probably, you know, th- th- there's, a, there's parts of the strategy of the business that I want to see through mm-hmm. and then maybe it's time to have a look and... And see where we go from yeah. there. Yeah. Do you love the CEO role? Do you love being? Yeah, in I the do. CEO role? Yeah. I look. I enjoy. I enjoy the responsibility, and I enjoy the accountability. And mm. you know, if you know, we talked about advice to you know, young people who want to see it. You got to be prepared to take accountability for what you do. Yeah, and that no matter what happens in the business, no matter who makes the decision, you're accountable for it. Mm. And you've got to accept that that's, you know, that will always be the case. But I, I actually enjoy that. You know. Do you think the accountability piece – sorry, I should have rounded this up, but I'm going to ask this question. Do you think the accountability – like accountability is crucial for all issues, yeah. right? But it's, t- it's actually quite a tough thing to do. It's tough to hold someone to account, isn't it? And, and I'm really interested in your process around when someone – who you know, you trust, you like, they work in your organisation, they're actually a great human, all the above, but they're not delivering on what they say they're going to deliver on or what you've agreed that they're going to yeah. deliver on. How do you manage that situation? Well, it, d- it depends on what, again, c- depends on the context. And mm. the, the stark reality is a, there are times when you have to exit people out of business. Mm. That's Even if they tick all the boxes, they're great for the culture, they're, they're just not hitting their... There's, there's yeah... There yeah. are reasons why you yeah, have to no, do it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just... And that's, you know, that's not a cutting, nice part of the job. It's cutting the arm off, isn't it, really? It is, but part of the job is you've got to make decisions that you don't like sometimes. Mm, correct, yeah, it's the, the unpopular decision. decision. I mean, if everything was easy and going fantastic... Then yeah. everyone would be a CEO. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, and I, I wanted to draw that out because you're, we've had many a CEO on this podcast and and um, was it Flavia... Nardini, the, the the CEO of Fleet Space Technologies. I use the arm. I was like, if there's a cancer in the arm, you cut the arm off, and like, you know, let's. And she said, I've got a nicer analogy. Whereas, if there's, um, if you have a plant and there's a leaf on the plant that is dying, 
right? And it's it's it. What happens is that eighty percent, ninety percent of the water goes to that dying leaf. Yeah. So the attention goes there. So it's about snipping off that leaf. Because quite often you've got to think not only the the impact that that person's making on the business, that what impact is that person making on the on on the other if it's an executive, the other six people. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Beautiful. Excellent. Thank you. That's been amazing. We're going to jump into some cool. quick fire questions. These are a bit of fun okay. to finish off. If you don't have any answers, that's fine. We'll, we'll jump right. to the next one. But, you know, I'll, I'll push a little bit until I get it. Just we're a big readers here. We love books. You, I've brought yeah. up a few. Is there anything that you're reading right now? I'm not going to give you a plug, but I have to. You, you gave me – is it Culturing? Culturing, yeah. Michelle, my business partner, Michelle's book, Culturing. I picked that up two days ago. Yeah. And, it's, and I've started that. It's, it's fantastic. But it goes, trouble with reading, Dan, is, you know, in my, I read so much. Yeah, no, I no never doubt. It's stop the government. reading. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like if I, if I sit in bed and think, oh, what am I going to read? I just want yeah. Yeah. Move to audio book. I've been telling Michelle, get your – Anything on but that's think, yeah. the, the, I've started reading that. <laughs> yeah, just, great. Yeah. It's a good book. Yeah. Is there anything that – like any type of book that you feel that stands out from the crowd, something that you have recommended? Uh, you know, we talked about Stephen Covey's before. Well, uh, I was going to say yeah. that that's probably – and you know, it's probably the the only development book I've ever read. Yeah. Well, like, where was that? 89, yeah, it's, it's got to be a yeah, long yeah. time ago. So for context, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Yeah. yeah, that that was, I remember that, but probably at that stage as well for me, that was probably an important, important um, read for so me. So do you read strategy books? Do you like, do you, how do you learn? How do you continue to evolve? Is it just through experience? And, experience. And, yeah. For me it's, yeah. And the mentors and the, like. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, look, I've, you know, I, I like listening to people. I, I enjoy, you know, listening to, you know, other other. CEOs and MDs and leaders and people yeah. like that. Um, but you've got to – for me, it's it comes from me. It's, yeah. It's got to. Self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Jim McDowell, we had Jim McDowell, CEO of Nervous Systems in the podcast. He's the same thing. He's like, I've never read a personal development book in my life. I, yeah. I read an old literature and I take my learnings out of there or, you know, and so yeah. I do like that lesson. Uh, what's one lesson that's taking you the longest to learn? Trust. Trust, yeah, in self or in others, uh, or in others, in others, yeah. And oh, look, trust in no. I think trust in myself probably not as much, but trust in others. Mm. I think. And and what what do you mean? Like you, you you struggle to trust someone? They need to prove themselves to you. What what what's that? Look yeah, like? probably just stru- struggling to trust yeah. people. Yeah, probably with me as much as anything yeah. else. Me and and also in I guess in work life. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so you're still working on it. It's a work. Still work. I think the work bit, work bit I've got. I mean, yeah. I've got a great group of people at work, so yeah. I'm, I'm pretty fortunate with that. So. Yeah, I'm probably almost on the other extreme. I just start trusting someone. <laughs> the moment, I'm, yeah, they're the best bloke ever. Like Gabs is like, how many best mates do you have? I'm like, oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's a mate. <laughs> uh, if you can invite three people for dinner, who would they be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, do you know? I re- I really. In- Joy understanding how people operate under or under duress or stress. So, first one for me is, is always going to be Mandela. Mandela, yeah. yeah. 27, 28 years in jail. Yeah. Smiled every day. Oh. Came and led a country. What a story. How, how do you keep yourself uh, Remarkable. together for that period of time? Mm. So, he would be one. Um, more modern one is I'd love to understand Zelensky. Yeah, Ukraine can. is something. Yeah, how 
know, how he's managed to but He's an actor, wasn't he? he was, <laughs> I don't know. You see, I don't know his background. He was an actor that got into politics. He's probably not a bad background for him. But he, I mean, <laughs> interesting to find. I mean, this is, you know, mm. how, how does he spend his day? How does he get up every morning? You know, it's, you know we talked about COVID yeah. earlier with you and worrying about the health and safety of yeah. of your people. He's got the whole country. Like, it's, this is ridiculous. I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know how. Yeah. And uh, do you know what? It's a personal one. Probably my mum. Get my mum back because there's a whole history of, of my family that, that yeah, we yeah. never ask questions. And I probably won't. so your mum's passed now. My mum's passed yeah. as well, yeah. And kind of like I, I, I think being a being an East End family, I think there's a yeah. few skeletons in the closet. I yeah. like to unravel, but yeah, that's probably yeah. the three. She'd probably ask some curly questions I towards gonna, that. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, well. yeah. Brilliant. What's some of the best advice that you've ever received? Um. I think one piece of advice I think my father gave me once, he, he, he said to me, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room but be the best prepared. Yeah, okay. And I think for me that was always um, – and he was a firm believer in uh, as best you can walk into, walk into a meeting knowing what everyone else is thinking of you. Mm. Yeah. So it's all around preparation. Mm. Yeah. I, side note, is there – do you do – like before every meeting, how much prep do you put in? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. You were giving me shit before about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it is. I mean, I, I speak to, you know, I had a chat with one of our executive team. As I, as I said to him today, I said it's, you just got to, you got to do the preparation and understand and, you know, if you can walk into a meeting with seven other people and you know the answer that those seven people are going to give you, that's the preparation. Mm. Understand. And if you... You've got to understand where the objection is going to come as well, so mm. be prepared for that. Yeah, we have board meetings once a month. So yeah. yeah. You've got to do your prep. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's probably an area that I fluctuate in. There's some things that I put so much prep in and there's yeah. some things like I'm just actually going to wing this, I think. But I'm the same. Yeah. It's just that when I go into meetings, I have to be prepared. Yeah. A lot of other stuff, it's, you know, you wing it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he for, 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 he said that quite quietly. He said yeah. he, wing, he wings it a lot. <laughs> if you had access to a time machine with, uh, you know, sort of like only one trip sort of up and back, as in you're not allowed to go in multiple places, you could pick one point in time and go there and back, where would you, where would you one go? One point in time? Yeah. To see. I mean, it doesn't have to be back. could be forward too, by the way. I was going to say it's yeah, going to be forward. Yeah. Um, Probably, I mean, I've got, I've got to have a personal thing. Yeah, you know, I transport me back to 1966 and watching England win the World Cup. That, uh, that, that's yeah, I'll be pretty happy. Yeah, with that. that's that's probably the one thing. Well done, well done. Um, if your house was on fire, your family, your pets, everyone—they're all safe. What's one thing that you would run in and grab and save? Don't need anything else. No, no. Yeah, family safe, pets are safe. Yeah. I've got the memories. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Everything's on cloud these days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. With Commodore 64. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, it's a question because we've had some people run in to save a family heirloom or you know, an old blanket or. I'd never know yeah. what to say. Yeah. I'd end up getting stuck in. Yeah. <laughs> I know that, right? Yeah. You'd trip over all the stuff you carry. <laughs> like, I, I run pretty light. Is that, stuff? Yeah. If you had one superhero power, 
could choose one superhero power, what would it be? Fly. To fly. Yeah. It's just a boring answer. It's the same answer to everyone. But it is. It's just. <laughs> no, I know. Just to be able to do that. Would yeah, be it would be. Yeah. I'm scared of heights, though. Oh, see, I used to be, but I kind of, I kind of got over that. Yeah, I reckon if you're flying, you're not scared of heights because you know how to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how high you fly. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> All right, to finish off, the, oh, this is one of my favourite. I hope you bought a dad joke. Oh, yeah, I had to think about you it. Did you? Yeah. You bought one, though? I did. Yeah, excellent. Like, yeah. What, what's your best dad joke? Why does a duck have tail feathers? Why does a duck have tail feathers? To hide the butt quack. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> oh, I love it. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stuart, for uh, for coming on the show, sharing your story. Obviously, there is uh, there was some personal issue, uh, personal conversation that we had, which you you shared with us, which was really amazing to get your insight. And thank you so much for having the courage and vulnerability to to share that uh, that story with us. And and thank you for all that you're doing for the you know I think the people of South Australia are all um, sharing in the. Uh, in the delights of those, you know, goods that get delivered. And, now they're getting uh, here. Yeah, now yeah. They're, they're getting yeah. here and you and the team and all the great work that you, you guys are doing out at the Flinders Ports. And, and also thank you for sharing your insights to leadership and, and, and the ideas of being a leader of an organisation and all the little um, tricks and tips that you, you've given uh, throughout the course of the conversation. We really appreciate it. Pleasure. It's been fun. It has been. If people would like to get in contact with you and get in touch with you, how – uh, firstly, are you open to that? Absolutely. And, and secondly, how would they do that? Oh, look, probably, I, think, I guess something like LinkedIn, LinkedIn. is probably, probably yep. the easiest. Yep, so Stuart Lemon on LinkedIn. That's it. Um, beautiful. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best.